Welcome to the new Double Scoop podcast, more conversations about the visual arts in Nevada. I'm Chris Wagner, Double Scoop's editor and publisher, but enough about me. This podcast is run by guest hosts. Each month, we'll have a new interviewer and a new theme. July's host is Prince Nesta. He's a podcaster and radio DJ from Kenya who's been in Reno for two years. Nesta graduated from UNR this spring with an MA in journalism. Next, he's off to the University of Oregon for a PhD program. But first, each week in July, he's interviewing someone in Reno who's involved in an Art Town event. This week, Nesta talked with Mary Lee Fulkerson, who's a bit of a legend in Nevada's art world. She's the founder of Great Basin Basket Makers. She's been in more exhibitions than we can count. She's taught art classes and written books, and a lot of artists in Nevada have called her a mentor. A few years ago, Mary Lee teamed up with photographer Susan Mantle. They traveled around Nevada and neighboring states to photograph and interview women artists. Their book, Women Artists of the Great Basin, came out in 2017. Here's Prince Nesta and Mary Lee Fulkerson. Hey guys, I'm Prince Nesta and welcome to the first episode of Double Scoop, the best podcast east or west, alright? And so right now, I'm actually hosting our first guest. She's beautiful inside and out, a legend in the artistic game, very inspirational, and it's such an honor to have her in studio. But I'll let the distinguished guest introduce herself. What's your name and tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm not used to talking about myself, but my name is Mary Lee Fulkerson. I uh, was a basket artist for many years until my hands gave out, and then I turned to writing, and so that's what I do. I I have a wonderful family, and uh, I feel like I'm a fortunate person. Where were you born, and when was that? Oh, I was born here in Reno at St. Mary's Hospital, a hospital I still would like to use, but not for a while, in 1936, July 1936. My 83rd birthday is coming right up. I was only born there because it was the closest hospital because my mother was expected to have problems. So we moved back to Quincy, California, which is a little little town in California, just over the Nevada border. Yeah. I didn't come back here uh, until high school. My dad was... Um, in the lumber business, and he built, of all things in Nevada, he built a sawmill. So I came back here and in the middle of high school and had a very tough time because there were, it was a huge city. It was 50,000 people when I moved here. <laughs> yeah. And I was just used to country, and I couldn't, I didn't know how sophisticated people talked. I yeah. couldn't talk that way. So it was a, it was a tough time. Then I came to college here at the university, and it was totally different. It was very fun to wow. be in college. What did you study? I started majoring in education, but they let the teachers graduate with a D average. Hmm. I didn't want to be a D average person. Yeah. So I switched to journalism, actually. But I fell in love. I got married, and I dropped out of college, and my husband... Also, he was from Idaho, but he mm. had a, a military. He took ROTC, and so after we married, we moved around a lot. He he was a Vietnam veteran, yeah. but we moved everywhere. Eventually, we came back to Reno, mm. and where I finished my, co- my college career in art and journalism. How did you meet him? 
I met him at the, um, what are they, oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Don't tell my children. I won't tell them. <laughs> I met him at the Little Wall. Oh. The Little Wall, it used to be down on Sierra Street. In those days, the students all sang songs. And so we'd meet at the Little Wall and yeah. drink beer, and we everybody in the whole room sang. They we still all do. sang, sang, sang. Do they still do that? They still do that, yeah. And uh, so that's where I met him. But I don't like to, my children to think I met their father in a bar because I don't even drink now. <laughs> don't worry, I won't tell them. Hey, children, don't even listen to this podcast, all right? We don't want you to know mommy's secrets. <laughs> When we came back to Reno, I finished college. I got my degree in art and journalism. And my husband resigned from the Army after his second tour in Vietnam. So in the meantime, I was protesting, and I started that. I went to work at the Committee to Abuse Women and um, became a feminist for the first time in my life. I was very traditional yeah. Army wife up until then. So I'm becoming a feminist, and I was becoming an artist, really. I had a good teacher, Bob Morrison, yeah. who, who, who was very good. He was very critical, and I'm, I'm glad of it now because I think that helped my career, having him for a teacher. And what sparked your interest as far as art is concerned? Well, I wanted to have a voice. In those days, women didn't really have too many opportunities. We, we didn't have, I had three children by then, and we didn't have child support. I, not that I would have needed, but we didn't have child care, and we didn't have, there was, it was a different time. And we weren't really cared for, except by our families. And, but I just learned to be, from Committee of Aid Abuse Women, you know, yeah. we, we got the bill passed that uh, it made li marriage license fees available yeah. to pay for the shelter and to pay to help battered women. Yeah. And it just turned me around, and I had to honor women. That's what I thought. I had to honor women, yeah. and I had to um, communicate that somehow. I was just reading your book, actually, Women Artists of the Great Basin, and one of my favorite quotes in that particular book is not that females didn't have a voice. It's just that they were not being listened to. Such a powerful quote, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And those women, that's the reason I wanted to write their story. I, after I started writing, I joined yeah. a writing group, and um, I, wrote, I wrote a first book, too, which was about Native American basket weavers in the Great Basin. Wow. And um, they're so honored. They're, the stories are so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it's not only about the art, which the yeah. art is wonderful, but there's so much more to it. How did they get there? Yeah. I know how difficult it was for me to get there. Yeah. Because when I got there, it just so happened. I decided when I graduated, I had to make my living as an artist. I had to. What was it all for if I didn't go work at it? We're going to get more into the book. But right now, I want to know, what's your description of art? I've read a lot of books, and it seems like everybody has their own description of what art is. What's your own definition? My, I've, I've changed my description. I, er, when I took art history, yeah. all the art that we learned about was white male European art. And so I broadened mine 
and, and that will be in the book. Because I was a basket maker, I made my baskets sculptural. I turned them into art, and people bought them, but they weren't considered art. By me, they were, and by the people who bought them. But it just happened that the women's movement was beginning at the same time I had my first show at Gray Eagle at the craft fair. Hmm. And they bought my baskets. All the women bought my baskets. I was I was so embarrassed. <laughs> Even a gallery owner came and wanted to put my work in her gallery. Yeah. I never called her back. Wow. I didn't. I just couldn't. She had to <laughs> run me down. seem to have misplaced my mind I feel like I've been drinking but my description of art is pretty broad I think mm. when you make art to me if art has meaning I like it better but it doesn't have to there's a couple of ads abstract artists in my book yeah but I like to communicate something with art Amazing stuff. And you've been inspirational. I mean, that's such an amazing story of how the women actually bought your baskets, all right? And you've given back to them by, you know, featuring some of the women in your book, Women Artists of the Great Basin. Such an interesting book with, like, photography that's just out of this world. Yes, um, photography is good. Just getting straight into this book, um, what inspired you to do it? Well, I wanted to do it years ago, years earlier. I'd already contacted the university press, and they said yes. Yeah. But there are too many artists. I mean, there's photographers, there's painters galore. And I just thought it was too overwhelming. And um, after about 10 years, yeah. I thought, okay, I'll narrow it down to three dimensions. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And then I had known some of them, and some of them I didn't know. And I just went from there and um, started driving to different communities around the Great Basin. Drove 4,500 miles to find them all. And, and I was just talking to Chris Wagner, the CEO of Double Scoop, and shout us to her. She's right now in studio, but just chilling. <laughs> yes. I was just talking to her and wondering, why did you just decide to focus on women, my goodness? I mean, why this particular demographic? Because they weren't honored. They, I think that's changing now. Mm. But, you know, these women, a lot of them are older, not all of them, but they came through the fire. They were dedicated despite yeah. no child support, despite no um, child care, despite not being recognized, and they still did it. It's, it just makes me want to cry. They, they're heroes to me. Yeah. And I just thought they should be recognized. And they're not the only ones, of course, but they're the ones that I chose. And the only thing I chose, I don't consider myself a curator. I have curated shows, but I mean, that's so subjective. So I just, I wanted diversity. That was my first thing. And I'm, I'm proud to have that. I have Native, two Native American artists. I have African American, I have Basque, I have Greek, I have Latina. So I, I, was, I was glad to have that. That's so amazing. I can feel the passion as you're explaining, you know, why you just uh, women as a demographic in your book. Um, you started doing art before I was even born. <laughs> yeah. And you've been through your highest and lowest moments. What are some of your highest moments and what are some of your lowest moments as far as your art is concerned? Well, you know, when you get to be my age, you forget the low moments. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But... Um, 
I would say those early days were, were tough because I didn't have any confidence. I didn't uh, really, you know, Bob Morrison did not think women were good artists. They, he, he, he was, could be critical. So, and I believed him. And so it was, it was hard at first, mm. like when I went to Griegel and, and none of that, you know. So I had to write down, I had to write down things that were good. There weren't many role models then either. Mm. So um, Jim McCormick was a wonderful man. He was an art professor here. He was a great, great role model. But um, my low moments were my own doing. But I think one of my high moments was to be invited to put a piece in the White House. Oh, tell me about that. Well, it was was for their Christmas collection. Mm. And... um, who invited you? Which president was in office at that time? Bill Clinton was the president. Wow. And um, they contacted each state arts council. Yeah. So that was, and the arts council contacted me, Jill Atkins, who's also in my book, and Dennis, I think Dennis Parks, who is a, was a Tuscarora Potter. Good. That was a high moment. And then <laughs> the first high moment, the yeah. second high moment was to be included in a, a national publication, Crafts in America. Oh, and wow. Dennis and I were the two that were, con- that were in it. My Those goodness, are... when I grow up, I want to be just like you. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to go further. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing stuff. All right, remember right now you're on the Double Scoop podcast. It's actually our first episode right now. And it's the best podcast, whether east or west. And thank you so much for tuning in right now. I'm actually honored to host a legend in the game as far as art is concerned, Mary Lee Falkerson. I want to ask you, you made a career as a basket maker. What inspired that choice to just focus on that art and craft? Well, when I graduated from college, I decided I had to make my living as an artist. I wanted to be a woman's art. I wanted to be art traditionally made by women. And the only two things were quilts and baskets. And I couldn't sew. So I thought it'd take me too long to learn that. And plus, I had loved sculpture so much, but I didn't know how to make a basket, and there weren't any books available here in Reno. So I found a book in Japanese on a sale table at a department store, mm. and um, I just followed the pictures. Then I improvised, and, and that's what made my work different, is that I didn't know what you were supposed to do. Yeah. I just made up what you could do. Interesting stuff, because I was just going through that and I was going through your website, some of the things that you've made. And some of the baskets that you make, actually the same, same baskets, you know, that my grandmother makes. Oh, I'm yeah. back in Kenya because I'm from Kenya. Yeah. I was looking at it and it kind of just looks the same. And so I was so fascinated. I was like, probably my definition of art is that art is universal. That's the beauty of baskets. There yeah. are basket makers all over the world. Yeah. And your mother is one. Yes. And when I was reading this and I saw you only focus on women, I was like, wow, my goodness. <laughs> 
this is someone that, you know, reminds me of my grandma, you know, and stuff like that. So it's really an honor to have you in studio right now. Thank but I want to ask you, you've seen it all. You've been through different generations. What's the main difference of probably art in this particular generation and when you started or the previous generations? Is there a significant difference? It, I think about that a lot because I have a niece who just uh, graduated with a degree in art, and she wants to make her living as an artist. Mm. And it's and also I have a friend I'm trying to mentor. She's a little older, but it's I think it's very difficult now because how do you get the word out? How do you make an announcement when you get invited to put a piece in the White House? Who who knows about it? There's not a, an outlet that everybody watches or pays attention to. Mm. So I mean I still have I haven't made baskets and five or ten years and people are still saying I read about you all the time well they don't <laughs> it's just that they remember and you build on your reputation so in a way it was more difficult because we weren't accepted yeah and they I I think it's wonderful the opportunities that young people in Reno have here now to exhibit their work but I don't yeah, know if they take classes at the university for on professionalism, how to marketing, all all those things. It's going to be difficult. I didn't tell my niece that. Yeah, that's interesting because I always felt like people in this generation have it easier in terms of you know passing information because of social media and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But you brought an interesting aspect of you know people still remember your work. Yeah. Which is interesting because you might have all the social media and stuff like that, but people don't remember your work. But, you know, during your days, you know, that is something that stuck on people's minds. I know. They stuck it in their minds when they could read it on paper. Yeah. Interesting. But now, you're right. It is a way of communicating. Yeah. But... It comes and goes in one day. <laughs> That's interesting because we suffer the same challenge I know, as journalists. I know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you received any awards, recognitions? I, I really, I was um, came in second place once for the uh, uh, arts award from the arts state arts council, but Ed Martinez got it. <laughs> Congratulations to you. <laughs> I got a, a wonderful award from the basket makers for starting. I started the group here in Reno. It's now 30 years old. So I got an award for that. I got yeah. an award for other areas of my life. I've gotten awards from yeah. the Community of Abuse Women. You know, I, I won an award, a first place award in creative nonfiction for oh. that book from an, an organization called Women Writing the West. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Maybe I'm going to do that in my next life. <laughs> yeah, you um, do it in this life. Yeah, probably. I'm active with The Notables, mm-hmm. which is a, um, a music, presents music opportunities for people with disabilities. And I have a brother with a, a disability. Mm. So we've both been very active with The Notables. And they, they gave me, they made a quilt for me out of Notables t-shirt. And that was my award. <laughs> do you sing? No, I, I well for fun. Think something dedicated to your brother. He might you be listening. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. That's his favorite song. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm sure he's enjoying himself right now, listening to you sing for him.
You mentioned role models. Who are some of your role models? Well, like I say, Jim McCormick, I, I've always consulted with him. He had a way with words. Mm. Plus, he was such a, a gifted artist. He, he just couldn't stop thinking, thinking about things. His brain just went. He passed away last year, and it was a tremendous loss to the whole community. But when I was making art, there weren't many women doing it. Yeah. And they kind of, they were more possessive because in those days it was either the university or the rest of town. Yeah. And, and they didn't really communicate with one another. And the university were considered, you know, the, the important people. Mm. And now that's changing, I, I think, a lot. And yeah. um, Stremel Gallery, of course, they've been around for a while. But there aren't really too many galleries in Reno. What's the greatest lesson that you'd like to share with us, especially people in our generation? Well, the thing is that in your generation, as I was when I was young, you want to, you want to burst out and be different. So you have to choose whether you want to burst out and be different enough that you will only exhibit your work, yeah. or do you want to sell your work and make a living with it? If you exhibit it, you, you can be like, oh, what's her name? The professor, at uh, the sculpture professor, she's in my books, uh, Rebecca Bogart. She does both. She can teach and she is great at uh, making. So it's, it's a tough go. Yeah if you just want to exhibit. You've faced all sort of challenges, I'm sure, in your artistic journey. One of the challenges you mentioned was that when you were starting off, you know, confidence uh -huh. and women were not finding it easy. Are there any other sort of challenges that you faced in your artistic journey? Uh, well, um, I was thinking of one when you mentioned another, but I'll, the one I was thinking of, yeah. the probably the biggest challenge and the one I'm not even sure I did the right thing was to market my work and sell it. So I did well. It went into corporate. All the Harris, Turkey Stremel was good to me. It went into all the Harris things. and But, you know, when you market your work, you have to make it for the market. Yeah. And so you lose your the fun part of experimenting to try to see what would work and what didn't work. And so you don't, I don't think you grow as much. And I often wonder if I did the right thing by doing that. I can remember one time when I was back in the old days when I was learning to use a computer here at the journalism department. And even then, it was, it was hard to be a woman. It was hard to get your word out. And I had little stickers. I had um, stickers from the committee to abuse women about how violence and, and pornography in the me media was horrible for women. And I'd go stick it on Playboy magazines and <laughs> in the stores. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had one that was about, oh, freedom of the press belongs to those who control the press. And it showed a woman at a printing press. <laughs> and I stuck it in the journalism department. That's true in a sense. Seems like you go yourself into trouble. I do. I do. I still do. I still do. I go on protests all the time. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness, when you're not doing everything, what do you do, like, during your free time? Well, um, right now we're installing a show at, um, at Northwest Library, and I'm giving a talk there. I'm uh, also, I'm worried sick. I'm a Unitarian, and my church asked me to give a sermon there next week, next month. I've never done that before in my life, so. You'll do well. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about that. You'll right do now. well. I live in independent living residence now, 
And three, four months ago, I started an art gallery there. Oh. So we just installed a show now that uh, honors the Reno Rodeo. It's called, oh. we're called, it's called A Brush with the Real West. That's amazing. <laughs> so, Everywhere you go, you're changing history. Yeah, I want to start a newsletter there. That's totally amazing. You've got an event coming up. Please fill us in on more details. Well, the uh, show is at Northwest Library. It's I'm, I'm happy to say both of the Native American artists that are in my book are going to be showing there. there one For one, Rebecca Eagle, she's not accustomed to showing. She does work with Native people. She sells, sits on her thing and, and sells them, but she's the most fantastic person. She is the Datsolali of, of the present time, and she does beadwork over her baskets mm. and portraiture. It's, it's so amazing to me. She figures out everything mathematically in her head. She doesn't have a graph, mm. and she starts with one bead at the top of the basket. That's genius. Until she has pictures all the way around that basket. It's so incredible that she That's, can do that. Oh it's going to be at uh, Northwest Library, and yeah. the uh, opening is uh, Saturday, the 6th of July, and it'll go till the end of July. And um, so we're looking forward. Many of the artists are going to be at the opening, and so I'm thinking I should get name tags for them to, so people can, you yeah. know, people can bring their books to get them to sign their books and that sort of thing. And another artist organized it. I didn't. Joan Giannichini is the organizer. Mm-hmm. I went to Miami and I was seeing all this beautiful art. Some of them were being sold for a million dollars, yeah. $500,000. I was like, oh my goodness, that's just out of my league. What's the most expensive art that you've ever created and how much did it go for? I, the most I ever created was for some of the Harris things. And the, it was for $3,000. I several baskets for $3,000. Wow, so good. that was good. But you know, I... At one time, I had reached the point where I really wanted to go national. I was showing my work nationally, but I took a workshop from a man named John Garrett. He's from Arizona. Yeah. And um, he is very well known everywhere. And I told him what I was thinking about. And he said, don't do it. He said, stay local. He said, stay where your friends are. Stay where your people are. Stay where uh, you can make a difference in the world. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. It's a much less work. So I did. I, did. I so, made that choice. Talking about that, do you have any regrets? No, I don't. I don't. I had a wonderful husband, and, you know, I, I wouldn't have left him to go around the country and teach. Which I did part some of the time, but he came with me. But, you know, for a full-time thing, I, I wouldn't have done it. July 4th, Independence Day is coming up. What does it mean to you? Oh, July 4th? Yeah. Well, being an Army wife, I'm very patriotic. I mean, they assign that to certain political parties, but it's not true. Everybody's patriotic. Yeah. And when we were in the Army, all the theaters on post would begin with the national anthem. Everybody stood up, quiet, hands over their hearts, attention, while they played the national anthem. 
So we, my children are the same way. We're all very patriotic. We all just love our country. We're so proud of it. It has its problems right now, but I, we love it anyway. What are you planning to do on July 4th? <laughs> I'm going to, going to a barbecue at my son's house. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. This is a cheeky question that I always ask all of my guests. Uh -oh. I want to be remembered myself as a rebel, a soul rebel, you know, rebel in spirit. How would you like to be remembered yourself? I'd like to be remembered as one who followed her dream, you know, and that's with, that's with my profession and with my family. I, I'm very blessed, very blessed. So if, if you can do it, it's, it's not easy. And I just feel, I just feel lucky. There is an artist who's listening to you right now whatever form of expression they would love to express themselves. And they're listening to you right now, and they're looking for advice or inspiration. What would you like to tell them? Well, first thing I'd like to suggest is that they check my book out from the library and read the lives of some of those artists, because the stories are even more important than the art. Some of those women that stuck with it. And, and so my advice would be, to, one, to read that, and two... Don't give up. It's going to be hard. If you don't give up, the world is waiting for you. The world is waiting for art. Art changes lives. Beautiful. I know time is not on our side, but lastly, what next for you? Well, I'm 83 years old. You still have a hundred more years. <laughs> I have, you know, I have, we have a lot going on. We have a homeless problem over where I live. And so the problem with if you live downtown, you see what the homeless issue is, but it's it's a western states region, and so I'm deciding if I want to get into that politically or not. Uh, it, it's a long-haul kind of a thing. You can't just solve it in Reno. Mary Lee, always making a difference wherever she is. You're such an inspiration, and thank you so much for being in our community. We are so honored to have you around. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be interviewed by somebody like you. Thank you so much. This has been episode one of the Double Scoop podcast with host Prince Nesta and artist Mary Lee Fulkerson. Our theme music is from the song Who Am I? by Reno musician Greg Gilmore. If you want to hear more about Nevada's fine art and artists, tune in again next Thursday. For more conversations about the visual arts in Nevada, follow Double Scoop on Facebook, follow Double Scoop Nevada on Instagram, and join our mailing list at doublescoop.art. That's doublescoop.art, not .com, dot .art. I'm Chris Wagner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>